The radical brilliance of Ethan Hawke's penetrating look into the exceptional art and stormy marriage of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward is essential viewing for fans and newbies alike and an outpouring of movie love you'll never forget. Peter Travers, ABC News, talking about our feature review, The Last Movie Stars, a brilliant six-part series on HBO and HBO Max. It's divided into one part apiece, meaning six parts, but it's overall six hours in length. It's absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. We're going to talk all about that. As far as our old movie, it's the 10th anniversary of Flight, a movie which I saw years ago. I saw it on cable the other day, so I, I watched a few scenes. Chris had never seen it, so he watched it start to finish. So 10th anniversary of Denzel Washington, Academy Award nominated for Flight, and our wild card, Little Bollywood, okay? Amir Khan. He's got a movie coming out. It's called Lal Singh Chadda. My wife, a huge Bollywood fan. Uh, our guest booker, Laura Brandt, threw it at me. He goes, you interested? I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I know Amir Khan. I know Karina Kapoor. I've heard of them. I don't know them that well, but I've heard of them. She goes, well, he's willing to do it. So, hey, something new here, Cody. A little Bollywood here on the podcast. Let's go. Um, I hope everybody is having fun out there. I just celebrated a birthday. So happy birthday to my buddy Stugatz, who turned 50. He and I are birthday buddies. Oh, shoot. I forgot to text you. I'm a jerk. Dude, don't worry about it. I was. How do you was, feel about that? How are you with birthdays? And if people don't reach out to you, do you hold grudges? Do you only say happy birthday to people that say it to you? Like, how's this work? No, excellent questions. So first and foremost, I thought of the quote. It says, there are many acquaintances in life, but there are only so many friends. So my, my, my friends are definitely the ones that remember my birthday. Like you wake up at 8 a.m. and like, boom, I got three text messages from close friends. Like, hey, buddy, happy birthday. And then throughout the day, like, you know, again, close friends, people that remember are cool. And then what I don't like is this. People will tweet happy birthday, which is fine. These are more acquaintances. Right. But then people cheat, right? They're using social media, which is exactly what I did to remember your birthday. I didn't know it was your right. birthday. But somebody tweeted it from the Levitard show. And then you tweet, I think, back to Roy. So right away, I'm like, boom, I'll text Cody. Happy birthday. So yeah. I don't like the cheat of social media. So thankfully, I'm, I'm glad about this. In the past, MLB Network has tweeted it. And then everyone just hops aboard. I'm like, well, you didn't know. So you, you shouldn't get credit. Yeah. Like, thank yeah. you. But you didn't, you know. So I'm I, glad I always this feel shitty. I always yeah. feel shitty when I text a friend late at night, happy birthday, and I'm only doing it because I saw something on social media. Like yeah. that, those are the ones you feel bad about. The right. acquaintances, you're like, okay, this is where I should be in right. this space. 100%. Like I don't expect you to know mine. If I just saw a tweet about yours, I would have yeah. texted you. Of course. Like, but, but like your best friend, if he texts you late in the day, yes, yes. you're like, who's did you see? What's up? 100%. What's up, man? No, you nailed it. If it's people that you, listen, the people you know better, you expect more of, right? They, yeah. they should be texting you or calling you or whatever. And if it's people yeah. that you, you know, casually know, hey, if they message you, great. If they don't they don't but i don't like the use of social media as a reminder so Who generally calling out right now who forgot who's the friend who's the friend that forgot no, i don't think there was anyone specifically aaron boone text you Did aaron boone text you i know but i did text him the day before i said hey it's my birthday tomorrow i want to go to the yankees game can i get <laughs> oh. tickets and okay. he was like and he wrote back no problem uh just venmo me some money he put his account number i'm like great so he hooked it up it was great we, we, we venmo went to him some money i mean geez aaron boone i know the money. yankees don't give out free tickets it's unbelievable oh. like you would have just thought manager get free tickets because no they actually yeah. they actually charge me okay. not much to be clear, it's a, it's a nominal fee. I'm still getting a steal in the tickets. I mean, I paid, right. what I paid was probably a third or a fourth. I, of I was, I, I thought for a second there, you were texting Aaron Boone just to tell him it's your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> hey, Aaron, you don't know me. Like, we're kind of acquaintances. I want, I just want that text from you. So tomorrow it's my birthday. Good yeah. night. No, no. He, and, but, but, but your point, he didn't say happy birthday. I said, it's my birthday tomorrow. Can I get six Yankee tickets? And he was like, sure. Send me this the money. The sure is a yeah. happy birthday. The right. sure is a happy birthday. Yeah, 100%. And I'm like, listen, he's yeah. got other things to worry about. Joey Gallo's been traded. He's got Frankie Montas. I'm like, but still, he's responding. And the tickets were great. So that was my birthday. Shake Shack for lunch. 
Big, big Shake Shack guy. Had the birthday cake. Oh, love it. Yeah, big, uh, big balloons, all that kind of stuff. And then Yankee game at night. Dude, baseball, Shake Shack, and cake? Yeah. I, I, who's happier than me? That's the perfect day. Shake Shack is grow is climbing rapidly in my favorite fast food burger place. Like yeah. I, I've gone through phases with a lot of them, but right now, major Shake Shack guy. Major See, Shake Shack. I was always amazed. Like I was like, I can't believe the people who take in and out over Shake Shack. Now, in fairness, I've only had in and out once, and it was in a good experience. It was great. It's okay. I yep. except, nailed it. And, and I'm shocked. Yeah. People have, and again, Wife's from Cali, you know, these in and out people, they go nuts. They love they get it. Angry. Oh, God, you can't say anything about in and out. I'm like, but if you're asking me, Shake Shack, I think that delivers on multiple levels. Soft bun, tasty burger, I'm bringing it. I saw some quotes from Joey Gallo. I feel bad for that guy. <laughs> oh, no, it was horrible. He, like, I mean, it, it sinks. Like, what other guys in sports are just known for something terrible? Like, you think Joey Gallo, in this day and age, you think strikeouts. Like, he's the face of strikeouts. Like, it just stinks to be known for something as that. Like, you know, who's the guy in basketball that's just thought of as something terrible? You can't, I can't think of, like, any other example of this. It's just, and then his quotes, he's just like, yeah, I get booed in New York by, like, he's getting texted by players he's playing against. Like, hey, man, hang in there. It sucks that they're doing that to you. Like, players are pitying him. That's how bad it is for him. The fact is he didn't want to leave New York. He didn't want to, like, leave his his place. Like, he just was hiding his house this whole time like it's, it's definitely Ugh. I know he's making 10 million dollars a year I get it but you can still have sympathy for mean, people who are you can still feel like shit man with yes. 10 million dollars yeah his strikeout rate of 40% like that guy yeah I mean he's got to clean it up shorten up shorten up the swing choke <laughs> choke up a little bit I mean, geez, I mean, I'm criticizing him a little bit, right. but also I feel bad. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're good defensively, but stop striking out so much. Like, uh, once in a while you get home, you think a, he hit 159 as a Yankee. Like, that is oh. horrific. And the fact Short that Dodgers... left field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, this guy's tailor-made for Yankee Stadium. Mm. And the Dodgers took a chance at him? Are you kidding? Like, what if he sucks with the Dodgers? This is guy's a two-time for them? He's not going to be in that starting lineup, right? No, he's, he's like a bat off the bench, right? Okay. Correct. Okay. But... Uh, I don't know. They're like, great to, like, I'm just saying, he's going to get moments that you will look and go, oh my God, Joey Gallo is getting a pivotal moment here in the playoffs. I can't believe the Dodgers are giving him a chance. I'm like, okay, here we go. All right. Hope you enjoyed the baseball trade deadline. You know how much I love Tatis. The fact the Padres got Soto. I love AJ Preller going for it. Let's yeah. go Padres. Take down those yeah. Dodgers. San Diego has not made the playoffs, by the way, in a full season since 2006, I think. Like, they made it in the, in the 2020 year. But, like, to have a manager like that going for it, it's awesome. All right, that's the awkward but necessary segue. Speaking of going for it, Ethan Hawke is going for it when it comes to the last movie stars. Ethan Hawke's been a movie star for a long time, right? Think about how long it's been. You saw him in Dead Poet Society as a kid. Um, you saw him in the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset trilogy. Training Day, he was Academy Award nominated. Uh, great films like First Reform with Paul Schrader. And now he's showing his chops as a director. He's always been an interesting guy to me, and he gets this question a lot. He says, people go... You know, he's written a book called Rules for a Night, which is like a kid's book. He wrote an actual book of fiction, which I believe I reviewed here on Cinephile. Might have been with Joe. I'm not sure if it was with Cody. Um, and, of course, he's an actor and now a director as well. And somebody asked him once, like, well, you have all these different muscles you like to use. And he said, you know, when you're in university, you know, there's the business building and then there's like the engineering building. He's like, I was just in the arts building. So I just, I just loved all the arts, whether it's painting or sculptures or poetry or acting, directing. It's kind of like a place I can use all my little muscles. And here is an example of him really showing off his stuff. So I love the concept of it. It's called The Last movie stars and it's about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward two great actors iconic faces and people who had a very very famous marriage so Ethan Hawke he starts and I love how he he begins it it's literally him on Zoom and he's talking about the challenge of Zoom and the fact that Paul Newman's kids one of them have asked him can you make a documentary about our parents so he's kind of workshopping with famous friends it'd be like 
He's just calling up Sam Rockwell via Zoom. He's like, all right, well, how do you think we should do this? What, what ideas do you have? Like, well, what scenes do you like? What's your favorite Paul Newman movie? He's talking to Billy Crudup. You know, he's really got this contagious, infectious enthusiasm. As you can tell, he realizes he's taking on water. Like, he's trying to tell the story of this iconic actor and do it in a documentary. And here's the key. There was memoirs written by Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, but... In a fit of haste, self-loathing, call it what you want, they burn the tapes. So the tapes are gone. But Ethan Hawke does find the transcripts, and they are sacrosanct, much like the journals in Judd Apatow's Zen Diaries of Gary Shanley. Now, listen, you're getting the voices of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. But what voices should they be? He calls on his famous buddies. George Clooney is going to be the voice of Paul Newman. Laura Linney will be the voice of Joanne Woodward. And I'll tell their story and their life altogether. Now, the doc isn't truly chronological, which I think is an asset. One part will focus on Paul Newman. One part focuses on Joanne Woodward. One part focuses on their marriage together. One on the children and what it's like being the kids of these famous marriages. But I do think the casting coups work, particularly Newman's narration when he's talking about kids. At one point, he's talking about Paul Newman as a father. He's, again, he's using the words of Paul Newman. He's going, okay, maybe I could have been a better father. Maybe I could have been on location less. Maybe I could have been more doting. But I also could have been a worse father. I could have been practicing incest on my kids. I could have beaten my kids. I could have disowned my kids. So anybody who tries to tell me what kind of father I am, like, hey, it's up to each person, which was a quote that rang true for me and Cody. Anybody wants to criticize us, hey, could I be better? Could I be worse? It depends on each father. Everyone has to make their own choices. Um, you know, later on, director George Roy Hale, it's an amazing sequence. It's his voice, and you just see the stills of a movie, and he's talking about a confrontation that Paul Newman had with one of his kids, and it sounds like he's almost voicing a horror movie. He goes, I, I almost don't want to tell you what he said, and then he doesn't. He said his son said something to his father that a son should never say to a father, and I can't even repeat it. It was so personal what he said, and I was shocked that the son actually had the gall and the audacity to say this to Paul. And that kid later suffered from real substance abuse problems. And the big tragedy of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward's life, which I did not know, is that they lost a son to substance abuse. And he died at the age of 28. And that really kind of frames the entire documentary. When you're so successful in your career, but you lose a child, how do you reconcile that? How do you yeah. overcome that tragedy? And yet, here's how they did it. Through philanthropy, through charitable efforts. Everyone knows Newman's own, the salad dressing, of course. That salad dressing Wait, and the other. That's Paul Newman, that dressing? That is Paul Newman. I did not know. I just looked like, just looked like some old guy's face on there. I didn't know that was Paul Newman. And it's funny you said that because they said, hey, don't put your face on there. And he's like, why not? Like, that's who I am. They're like, yeah, but no, it's not going to sell. It's not going to do well. He's like, no, that's me. It's Newman's own. And. It's not even salad dressing. Now there's like a tons of different things. The salad I dressing is most famous. That's funny, man. I did not know that the was The amount him. of money this sucker's made, $150 million, all wow. given to charitable efforts, particularly towards those. Uh, all you know, of it went to pr- All of it? Wow. Yeah. And you had the same reaction as me. I was kind of like, mm, maybe you give $100 million. Like, I'll, I'll right. give two-thirds to charity. A third right. I want to keep for myself. I could use a boat, a yeah. couple yachts, but yeah. incredibly philanthropic that I think wow. because of that tragedy, you want to give it away. So 35 minutes in. The legend pops up. It's so good because you see Ethan Hawke go, oh my God, this is such an honor. Thank you so much. And then you see Martin Scorsese go, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, what do you need? What do you need? What do you you got? And right away, Hawke's like, can you tell me more about Joanne Woodward? He's like, oh my God. And like only Scorsese, like he starts talking about Joanne Woodward. And again, as an actress, if you ask me what I knew prior to seeing this documentary, I know she was Paul Newman's wife. I know she was a pretty good actress herself, but wasn't Paul Newman. So he got more acclaim and she probably took a backseat to him because of her career and the kids, et cetera. But Scorsese starts talking about her early movies and he's like rapturous talking about her talent and how great she was. And I'm like, I don't even know where you can find these movies. That's one of the best aspects of the last movie stars. You watch this six hour documentary and you go, honestly, I have to watch like 10 movies. Even the movies I've seen, I have to go watch Slapshot again. Like I love, it's a great hockey movie, Paul Newman, yeah. the Hanson brothers, but I got to watch 
watch movies that I haven't seen before because these sound so interesting. Even the bombs kind of sound interesting. There's a couple of scenes that are noteworthy that are interesting. And you often think about the women, right? Behind every successful man, there's a, there's a great woman. I was thinking of that while watching Joanne Woodward. Like, she had to push aside her career to raise the kids. She was jealous of Shirley MacLaine. And yet, she's an Oscar winner. She won multiple Emmys. I think at least six or seven Emmys. So she clearly was very, very talented. But... Paul Newman is the headliner. Let's be clear. Uh, they talk about the movie HUD, which I've never seen. Ethan Hawke says, without HUD, there's no Raging Bull. Like, that's a great story of an anti-hero, and Newman was amazing. He said his entire career changed because James Dean passed away. He said early on, like, you know, it's funny. You think of Paul Newman, and you and I would say, oh, the crystal blue eyes, such a handsome guy, rugged actor. Yeah. But no, he goes, Brando was ahead of him. James Dean was ahead of him. Like, there was other actors that were well-regarded ahead of him. He was kind of just doing his thing. And then when James Dean died, it's almost like Newman filled that void. So it's like, you know, timing is everything when it comes to one's career. Cool Hand Luke, of course, is amazing. The scene of eating the eggs. Scorsese's the one who mentioned Slapshot because he goes, oh, look at the comedy of Slapshot. He goes, the last scene, they're, like, they're doing a strip tease. Like, the guy's got a bra around. Like, it's just a, a silly, fun movie, but it showed Newman's lighter side. And of course, the one that I love the most, The Verdict. There's a great Sidney Lumet story, which Ethan Hawke again. And this is the key that Ethan Hawke is doing the documentary because he himself is an actor. He knows what it's like to be in the public eye, and he's got stories himself. So he worked with Sidney Lumet on Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And he goes, oh, I got a great story. He goes, and he's telling Sam Rockwell, he's like, really? Well, what happened? He goes, they're doing the read-through, and then eventually Sidney Lumet sends the crew home. He goes, hey, Paul, can I talk to you? He's like, yeah. He's like, what's going on? And Newman's like, what do you mean? He goes, it's, it's not working. Like, the rehearsals right now, like, it's not working. And Newman goes, it's because the script, David Mamet's script. He goes, I'm just trying to get the words. I can't get it going. Sidney goes, that's not what it is. It's you. And Newman's like, what do you mean? He's like, you're not putting yourself into the role. This story is about an alcoholic lawyer looking for a second chance at life. And you have got to draw on your own personal experiences. Pretty bold of Sidney Lumet to, to yeah. not, not really get in his face, but to be blunt. Like, listen, unless you make this thing work, it's not going to work. And he said they went home that weekend, came back Monday, and Paul Newman was a different guy. And all of a sudden, wow. the fact he puts an eye drops in his eyes, well, that's what an alcoholic did, which Paul Newman was. The putting the panaka in the mouth, he's like, yeah, that's something I used to do when I was drinking all the time. The drinking story is amazing. He was so boozed up at one point, he goes to his wife's house, Joanne Woodward, the kids are inside. She goes, you're not coming in the house until you stop drinking. And he's like, it's my house, I'm coming in the house. She goes, you can't come in the house unless you stop drinking. He stayed outside. I don't know if this is true. They said he stayed outside for three days. Like he slept in the garage or slept in the driveway. And then by the fourth day, he knocks on the door and he said, Okay, no more hard liquor. How about just beer? And she goes, Okay, fine. Come on in. <laughs> a great way of doing it. But at one point, he said, George Roy Hill, who's a legendary director and a big drunk in his own right, told Newman, He goes, You got to stop drinking so much. And as Ethan Hawk quips, he goes, That's like Willie Nelson telling somebody, Hey, maybe you yeah. shouldn't be smoking so much weed. Like, he goes, like, that, that's how bad an Not issue happening. it got. Right. Uh, but of course, the verdict, the personal touches and flourishes made it special. The Color of Money which is Cody points out my Scorsese bias. I'm actually not a big fan of that movie. Scorsese directed it. Tom Cruise, of course. You saw Cruise bias, but this is before I hated Tom Cruise. I just didn't think the movie is that great. It's a sequel to The Hustler, and Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie Felsen, this old pool shark. To me, it just feels like a very conventional movie. Old pool guy meets young, cocky pool shark, Tom Cruise. His girlfriend, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio. Very obvious, very predictable. Old guy versus young guy. Here we go. Pool sequences. Because it's Scorsese, the pool sequences are well shot and well done, but I actually don't think it's a particularly special movie. However, it did win Paul Newman his lone Oscar, which as we know, it always happens. They're long overdue. They haven't won yet. Okay, let's give him an Oscar for the color money. At that point, he cared so little. He didn't even show up to the ceremony for the Oscars. Scorsese actually really? accepted it on his behalf. He's like, whatever, I haven't won one for 50 years. You guys want to give me fun. But in fact, he called Scorsese because he was like, I think you could make this movie good. And Marty was like, nah, I don't care about pool. I couldn't care less. And he was like, no, you're a good director. Let's work together. And in fact, Newman said he was kind of intimidated of working with Scorsese because he admired him so much. There's one scene of the movie Cars, which Cody's 
daughter, my kids would, of course, know Paul mm-hmm. Newman later in life, voice one of the cars. Nobody's fool. Good movie is older. I wish they'd done more on Road to Perdition, which I think we're going to do here in Cinephon in a couple weeks as far as our old movie. One of Scott Van Pelt's favorite movies, of course, Tom Hanks and Paul Newman, both playing gangsters. And at one point I said to myself, it'd be kind of cool if they had Tom Hanks talking about Paul Newman telling stories. But that's the essence of what Ethan Hawke is doing. He's not going to do a conventional documentary in which they have different actors and directors who worked with them tell their stories. He is telling their story through journals, through the voiceovers, and the movies. And particularly episode four, I thought was so well done. He talks with their marriage, and they're on an interview. I think it's Dick Cavett. And Dick Cavett says to Joanne Woodward, you guys have the perfect Hollywood marriage. And she kind of gives him the hairy eyeball, and Newman kind of starts laughing. He's like, well, yeah, I don't know about that. And marriage is hard work. Like, the biggest thing I learned from this is that you would think they had this great marriage 50 years, but it was incredibly tough. It was incredibly challenging. Paul Newman left his first wife for Joanne Woodward, and the damage of that is discussed. Like, Ethan Hawke is not, is not sugarcoated. He talks to one of the kids of Paul Newman's first wife, and she's like, no, the way he treated my mom was terrible. He had an affair. He left my mom for Joanne Woodward, and all of a sudden they had this perfect Hollywood marriage. But, like, people don't look at the wreckage, and now that happens. So one was very embittered. One completely forgave him because, you know what? My dad made some mistakes, but he's an awesome dad and he was really good. And, you know, these things happen. So ultimately, it's, it's Ethan Hawke as well using the documentary as an exploratory project. You know, he's, he's a guy who also has scandal, as my wife reminds me. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman were married. I believe what happened is he had an affair with a nanny, Ryan, who Ethan Hawke is now currently married to. And, you know, that's caused issues in his life. And he doesn't go that deep into the doc, but you can tell there's essences of it, of an actor saying, hey, I know what it's like being in the public eye and people kind of pushing around and taking you down. And Maya Hawke, of course, people love from Stranger Things. She's a dead ringer for Uma Thurman. You're like, oh my God, wow, she looks just yeah. like your mom. And you see some stuff of Ethan Hawke talking to her about that. By the way, just as an aside, there's a great uh, New York article, New York Times article about Uma Thurman, why she had just had a complete falling out with Tarantino. It was on Kill Bill, in which she insisted that she drive one of the cars and she wanted to have a stunt driver do it. She was not comfortable. She said, no, you got to do it. You got to drive $100, 100 miles an hour on this dirt road, et cetera. And she ended up sustaining a very serious accident. And Ethan Hawke at the time, they were Jeez. estranged. But Ethan Hawke flew back from where he was shooting just to go at Tarantino and apparently kept yelling at him, what is your problem, man? Like, what is your problem, man? Like, what? Like, you got to trust the actor. The actor's not comfortable. You go get somebody else. Like, what is your problem? Just telling yeah. her, no, you're driving, you're doing this. Like, what, you think you're king shit? You're the director in charge? Like, no, man. So it's just something I was thinking about as I was watching it. Ultimately, though, Paul Newman, sex symbol. I mean, those blue eyes. I, I couldn't imagine being married to Paul Newman. Like, you know what I mean, that guy's on set for two months. How many women are throwing themselves at him? But I don't know if the stories of infidelity or anything like that. I just think it was a tough life to measure. But ultimately, the last movie stars, if you're someone like me who loves old Hollywood, who loves Ethan Hawke and loves stories which really deal with marriage and art and the navigation of both, you're going to love the last movie stars. I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. I found it hypnotic, mesmerizing, and thoroughly involving. Not surprising to you that I think I've seen one Paul Newman movie. I think I've seen Slapshot. I I was going to say it's Cars. It's going to be Cars. No, no, Cars even. You said my daughter. I, that, I don't think that one has got on her radar yet. I definitely yeah. hasn't watched. I haven't watched an entire Cars movie. I've like seen it. Like it's like I've yeah. seen passing scenes, but I've never watched the full thing. Slapshot, I watched when I was young, but like that's one of those th- ones I need to watch again because I bet you I didn't catch up. Like it's one of those things that I watched, but I bet I missed everything. I'm with you on that too. I saw it as a kid and I was like, okay, I get it. Like they're just a bunch of like violent, right. tough guys swearing, drinking hard. Like, I'm like yeah. it's, it's a hockey movie, which is cool, but like what's so great about it? But I think you're right. If I do want to watch it again. Again, though. Yeah, I want to watch good. it again. 
All right, that is my thoughts on The Last Movie Stars. Now let's talk about Flight, which you just watched. A couple of reviews, by the way, here of The Last Movie Stars. Stephanie Zakarik of Time Magazine. Hawk has deep affection for these two performers as stars and as people. But if The Last Movie Stars airing on HBO Max is a work of great warmth, Hawk easily steers clear of turning it into hagiography, which is an amazing word, which was my criticism of The Last Dance. Of course, Jason Hare's documentary, Michael Jordan. Basically, hagiography means... It's just hero worship. Essentially, you're just loving the person, which this is not. Read the next review under that. Okay, great. So Anne Brody, of what she said, while the doc looks at their burdens and tragedies, it is a hagiography. What the hell? This is unbelievable. <laughs> I thought that was great. There was like back-to-back reviews. Like, this is oh. clearly not a hagiography. Yeah, this, that's a hagiography. No, Anne Brody's an idiot. I'm going to go with, let, let's be honest. Stephanie Zakarik, Time Magazine, Anne Brody, who apparently writes for what she said. With all respect, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. It's not a hagiography. But that is funny that you point that out. All right, let's do flight before we get to our wild card. Amr Khan. An airline pilot saves almost all his passengers on his malfunctioning airliner, which eventually crashed, but an investigation into the accident reveals something troubling. It is from Ace Director Robert Zemeckis, written by John Gatons, and it stars Denzel Washington in a terrific Oscar-nominated performance, playing a pilot who has a lot of substance abuse issues. My guy likes to get after it. Cocaine and booze, and on the day of a pivotal crash, he's doing all of that, along with being a lady of the night uh, early that morning. And Denzel is very cocksure in the performance, very self-assured. I didn't watch all of it again, so Chris will fill in a lot of the blanks here, because again, it's the 10th anniversary, but what I did was, I just remember as a movie, the first 30 minutes are amazing, particularly the crash, so yeah. I, I re-watched the crash again, which is spectacular, and then I forwarded through most of it, and then I just watched the ending, because I just love the scene where he says, I'm drunk right now, like, I just, yeah. I just love his delivery of that whole scene, but you yeah. will fill in the cracks now for me, what did you think of Flight? I enjoyed it. I was annoyed at Denzel, obviously, the whole time, because even though he does a heroic thing with, like, landing the plane, he's a complete drunk, and he's literally, like, some of it's a little, like, it couldn't have actually happened this way. In the movie, he's, like, like while he's, like, he while the flight is in the air, he goes out and is, like, let me go talk to the people a little bit. Like, let me put on a show. I'm the pilot. He goes out, and as he's, like, hello, folks, just want you to know we're going to get you there. With his left hand around a corner, yeah. he's pouring himself a triple vodka and... <laughs> orange juice like little literally simultaneously and i'm just like this couldn't have happened in real life where he's literally like i just want you to know we're gonna have a great flight you guys are a great crowd how about those mets last night and he's, <laughs> he's doing like a stand-up set while pouring himself a triple and then he falls asleep mid-flight and then is awoken to this chaos and is like, then he finally does something heroic. And then afterwards, <laughs> he's trying to convince everyone that he did nothing wrong the entire right. day. It's like, right. we get it. You saved everybody with a, like, you're, the, nobody else, every, we would have been dead without you. Yes. Doesn't change the fact that you were asleep and drunk. <laughs> like, that. I don't get why he, like, is trying to, like, what, but you would, like, I just was like, it's it's a good movie, riveting. I hadn't seen it before, so I didn't know. I didn't even I hadn't even read the story on the true story, so I didn't know that in that final hearing he was just gonna be like, "I'm drunk right now." <laughs> That's the best but like part. that made me happy finally. I was just finally like, that was finally a redeemable thing that he did because he spent the entire movie outside of that that like landing like doing just all terrible things. So it, I enjoyed the movie. It was I was into it the whole time, and Denzel was great in it, and uh, but. The first hour and a half, he annoyed the shit out of me. Yeah, you would definitely think, why would these people not recognize something's going on? Like, early on, the co-pilot kind of looks at him like, you feeling okay here? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Like, you can clearly yeah. tell this guy's not feeling good. He's a little yeah. hungover, a little beat up a little bit. Give me that coffee, okay. Um, 
But yeah, I thought the crash, I mean, that that's Zemeckis. This is the director oh. of Back to the Future. And that's real like, life, right? Like, he yeah. really went, He they inverted and stuff? Like, yeah. that, that's all true? It was insane. Like, that kind of stuff, yeah. like, dude, like, there's only so much special effects could do. Like, we're going to we're gonna put some razzle-dazzle here. So that kind of stuff was fantastic to see in the crash. And you're right. I thought it was interesting in terms of an exploration of nobility. Because, as you said, without him, everybody dies. Right. Now, with him, there's still some casualties. Like, not everybody was spit. There were a few people right. who died. Right. So I'm like... At what sense do you say, okay, because he was drunk, if he wasn't drunk and high or whatever, he would have saved everybody. But I'm like, if that's he not wasn't the drunk and asleep, they right. might have never gotten into like, you know, like I know that the plane broke, there was like some issues. So yeah. there was things that like not out of his control, but it was just like, dude, like you were drunk. You were pouring yourself a triple <laughs> while talking to the, like, it was just, I, I, I get it. Like without him, they're all dead, but. That doesn't change the fact. Right. That's why what he got is perfect. Like what he ended up, I think at the end, he's like in for like six or seven yeah, years. Yeah, six, seven year person. Like that's perfect. Like yeah. you're, you got, you're going to get to live again, but yeah. I, don't I, I do. Why. I always find it fascinating that when characters realize that they are guilty, but they're doing everything they can to get out of it. Like when he's talking to the black era airline attendant and he's kind of yes. just, just he's like, he's kind of just trying to. The one he's friendly with. He's yes. like, it was just a normal day. He, it was right? a normal day. There's that look in the eyes. It was a normal day, right? And she's like, uh, and he's like, no, no, come on. Like, hey, think yeah. of your son. Think of my kid, right? Yeah. Like, that's where Whip is really trying to use that sympathy. Would to you make still be here without right. me? Right. Even though the one that I was having sex with is not here anymore. <laughs> but you're still here. You got my back, right? <laughs> it's, that, it's that an interesting. Like, I, get the, I get the tension of it. Like, I get the, you know, he saved everyone, but he was hammered. But, yeah. like, I just lean back to, like, you deserve something, my man. And you yeah. realized it because at the end you finally were in a hearing where you could have just said one little lie yeah. and you were out free. And he's just like, you know what? I'm done lying. I'm drunk right now, judge. <laughs> and that's the one thing. I remember when I saw it the first time, I said, I don't think that character would do that in that moment. Because he's been lying the whole time. And to your point, it's so easy. He's at the end now. This is the finish line. Just don't stumble. Just be like, right. yep, everything was fine. I'm like, I'm out. And maybe at that point, he'll seek treatment. I'm like, he wouldn't do that. But to your point, hey, I've never been an alcoholic. Maybe you are at that point. You go, I've had enough. Uh, I yeah. just, I can't take anymore. I really can't right. speak to that. And his acting is phenomenal. The way he does. I, I actually remembered in my memory, it was a bigger delivery, but it actually isn't. He kind of just says it. Very plain spoken. Like, I'm drunk right now. I was and drunk like then. the guy, <laughs> the guy who works for like the, the pilot union is just like, right. no, he, he misspoke. <laughs> He's like, no, he didn't say that. Rivers, he misspoke. Right. Delete that. <laughs> that was uh, Bruce Greenwood, noted Canadian actor. He's terrific. Yeah, I, yeah he's one of the guys trying to help him. Like, no, let's just get through this. The one, oh, Don Cheadle also is with him as well. The one scene that is absolutely ridiculous is prior to that. Because he goes in the bender and they got to get him to the hearing. And who do they call? They call John Goodman in. And also, oh, he yeah, just, John just, Goodman, that was great in that role. Just, just a ridiculous. He just goes up, let me just shoot this guy up. He needs a little pick me up. <laughs> he like so, puts a little cocaine in the tip of a uh, cigarette. Right. I forget what they called it. They had some name for it, but it was just like, here. <laughs> and then he takes a couple hits and then he looks up. Right. He's like, yeah. I'm good. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just love the idea of that guy existing. As ridiculous as it is, there's a John Goodman type. Hey, dude, call that guy. He's got every drug known to man. He'll make sure that your guy's feeling pretty just, good as well. He has one night to just sleep in a hotel room, and he busts yeah. into the the connecting room, and just they walk in, and he's yeah. just butt naked in the bathroom. <laughs> he just drank every thing of alcohol. Ugh. Guy's an absolute disaster. Uh, make sure you check out Flat. If you like Denzel Washington, as Chris and I said, it's an excellent performance. I believe it's available right now on HBO. I'm giving it a three. 
Yeah, I think it's three a good call. Leaves. I think it's three Maple Leafs. I think you're right. Like, it's it's not great because there's moments that definitely suspend belief. But if you focus on the strength of it, which is Denzel and the storytelling, yeah. then I'm like, yeah, I three Maple Leafs is fair. Make sure you can check out Flight. A couple of reviews for you. Sarah Michelle Fetters. Flight isn't an easy sit. It doesn't offer up comforting answers to the many questions it raises or deal in exaggerated platitudes an audience might find simplistically com- comforting. Yeah, sure. A lot of words. Yeah, Megan Burbank of Bitch Media. I don't know where you found this one. Flight Sorry. proves in a bad way that believable characters are essential for all good movies. I'm a big subscriber to Bitch Media. Now I found that on Rotten Tomatoes. I just <laughs> I just copy and paste. I wish it was a personal personal follow for you. And Larushka Ivan Zade of Metro.co. Robert Zemeckis' flight is worth seeing for Denzel Washington's Oscar-nominated performance, as well as a marvelously tense plane crash. But the rest is disappointingly soap opera-esque. That's the best review of the three. I mean, yeah. see it for the crash, see it for Denzel. And now it's time for our special guest. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A real pleasure bringing Amr Khan right now. The new film is called Lal Singh Chadda. It is absolutely fantastic. I watched it with my wife. We really enjoyed it. A remake of Forrest Gump. Of course, Amr is a terrific Bollywood actor for many, many years, 30 years. He's one of the biggest stars in the Bollywood film industry. Amr, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Real pleasure, Adnan. Real pleasure. Thank you. Let's talk first about the film. I, I love the fact it's a remake of Forrest Gump, which is such a beloved film. It's such a sweet film. And I thought you did an excellent job of adapting it, but also bringing in some, obviously, Indian touches and making it more you know, modern towards Hindi audiences. Well, how did the project first come about? Well, you know, Adnan, it happened quite by accident. Uh, my friend Atul Kulkarni, who's we've acted together on a number of films, he and I were sitting one night and discussing films and cinema. And he asked me, what is your favorite film? And I said, well, one of them is Forrest Gump. And we spoke a little about Forrest Gump. And then the night ended and I forgot about it. Two weeks later, he calls me and says, I've written an Indian adaptation of Forrest Gump. So at first I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) So he said, no, I'm serious. I've written an Indian adaptation of Forrest Gump. And I said, how did this happen? He said, well, I was supposed to shoot for a film for the next day, but that two week schedule got canceled. And sat down and wrote the Indian adaptation. So there were three things that troubled me here. One, that Atul has never written a script before. The second thing was, your, you know, he's attempting to adapt Forrest Gump, which is a cult classic, and you don't mess with that. 
Yeah. Uh, and the third thing was that he done it in two weeks. So <laughs> I found it rather fascinating and I didn't take him seriously. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll hear it one of these days. And he was very keen that I heard the script. I, I like to hear scripts as opposed to read them. And uh, that's something, I, I don't know, it's a strange thing that I have. I like to hear them. And I kept kind of pushing it away and I didn't want to hear it because I didn't want to say no to him or say, you know, it's, it's not so good. One day he called me up and he said, it's been two years, Amir. And now, <laughs> by now, I know you're not going to do the film. But just hear it once. I've written it. So I felt really bad. And I said, I'm so sorry. Let's, let's hear it today. And I sat down to hear the script. And by the time he'd finished reading the script, I just, I had tears in my eyes. I was so moved. I was so touched. And I was, this adaptation, I, I couldn't believe that he'd done such a wonderful adaptation. And I couldn't have, I couldn't believe that something so culturally American could become something so culturally Indian, you know. Yes. And uh, so then the journey began of trying to get the rights, which took us eight years. And and now we've managed to get it, uh, get it complete. Yeah, but, but you nailed it as far as the fact this is a quintessential American story. And I'm watching it and it feels like an Indian story. And just the balance between Muslims and Sikhs and Hindus and culture and caste and the way you treat people with special needs, like all of it's in there. I, I think that's the greatest thing while watching the film. I said, I never would have thought this is a remake of an American film. It feels like something that's very uniquely an Indian film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so happy that you've liked it. And I'm, so, I'm really thrilled. It's uh, most encouraging and reassuring because the film is almost ready. I mean, it's about to be released on the 11th of August. We are a week away, I think. So we're all very nervous about how people are going to react to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, I think, because at least here in America, I feel like there's a lot more support and understanding and compassion for people with special needs and mental health awareness. I think it's really improved. What I'm curious is in watching the film, you know, they keep calling him Papakal. But for those that don't know, that means crazy. You know, there's and then Karina Kapoor, who's the love interest, she's saying, "No, he's simple. He's not crazy. He's just different, etc." How do you find it is right now in India? What is the climate? What is the sensibility towards people like the central character Lal and a character like him? Well, Adnan, I think my sense is that there is still a lot to be done for raising awareness about mental situations, mental illnesses, mental challenges. I think there's a there's a lot. There's a lot of work, awareness to be done, but there has been a lot of progress as well. So I think there's there's both sides to it. Uh, I think there have been people working in this field for a number of years and have made a big change. I've done a couple of films, you know, which have, we did a film called Tare Zameeper, which was about a child with dyslexia. And I think that went a long way in, in connecting with people. So I'm I'm hoping this film is another one which actually makes, uh, sensitizes people, sensitize people more and, and is part of the journey of, sensitizing people all across the world, in fact. Yeah. You and I know there's lots of Bollywood films that are remake of American films, but you can make it uniquely your own. Obviously, you're an accomplished actor, very talented. Did you have any interaction with Eric Roth, the writer, Robert Zemeckis, or of course, Tom Hanks? Or is that just a... Atal writes the script, you guys get the rights, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we didn't really have any interaction with uh, Mr. Eric Roth. Uh, I did meet Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. uh, though he's not connected to the film, I had gone to meet Mr. Spielberg to try and <laughs> request him to get me a meeting with Mr. Zemeckis, which I was not be not very successful in doing because if you were trying to get the rights and we weren't being able to get our hands on it. So I'd, I'd visited the sets of uh, Bridge of Spies and Tom was there. and I So I spent about maybe half an hour in the tent with them and we chatted a bit. But at that time, I didn't have the rights yet and, and, and I was in the process of trying to get the rights. Right. Um, but I did in the process also speak to Mr. Uh, 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 Mr. Groom, 
Mr. Winston mm. Groom, who's written the book. I I did reach out to him and I had a video chat with him. Mm. So so that was yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that's very good. That's nice. At least you were able to have some sort of connection with those guys. You know, it's funny for those that love Forrest Gump. The main line is, of course, "Run, Forrest, run." So mm. while watching the film, it's "bog lal bog," which of course means yeah. "run." So I, I'm just curious. This could become a catchphrase down in India, right? They're going to have on the buses, the rickshaws, "bog lal bog." That becomes yes. a, really, a funny, funny <laughs> catchphrase. But but you are running fast, and as you and I know, in movies, it's not one take; it's take after take after take. So. How much running did you do? You must be in great shape for this movie. Well, <laughs> well, Adwaith did make me really run a lot in this film, and as you know, the character of Lal runs across the country for over four years, and so we kind of traveled across the country for a for a month and a half to shoot that four to five minute sequence, and it was uh, for us also a discovery of our own country. In many ways, we were seeing places places for the first time, and really beautiful places, and so. we also got an opportunity to showcase you know uh the, the beauty of the, and the terrain of india the different variety of terrains in india yeah that's uh, true it makes you fall in love with the country that's true i i read you grew the beard it went to 6 inches you wanted to grow it longer is that right yes i i actually grew it uh it, well i could have had it longer but a bit of a hiccup happened in the middle uh, something very strange happened in the middle what happened is that i was we got the rights i started work on the film we started the prep on the film adwaith was someone who was very keen to direct the film and adwaith uh, is someone who's directed a film with me before secret superstar and he's done a good job but this one is a really tough one and i said adwaith you need to shoot 6 to 7 scenes i need to be sure that you can handle this film it's, it's a really difficult piece to handle so he said sure i'll give it a shot and he was going to shoot some scenes and uh, my son junaid had just returned from america he'd gone there to study theater and i told uh, adwait i said why don't you use junaid to play lal and we'll also in the process get to see what he's learned so two weeks later they showed me a test and uh, two things came about one adwait did a great job so he got his job as a director the thing that threw us off was that junaid had <laughs> done such a performance because he was you know he's also younger and and when lal is young you innocence is a very important part of lal's character Yeah. and and the way junaid was it that was him so i felt i was watching lal so when that 20 minute got over i was i turned to kiran and i said is it just me or or we, did we just see lal singh chadda so she said you know he he was amazing and then we were in a dilemma because this is the film that i had been wanting for 8 years for myself and then suddenly my son comes and just hits it out of the park <laughs> Junaid's a real talent. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> so you know, so we were like, "Whoa!" And then I showed it to a lot of friends, colleagues, and I was, I, "Am I only the one feeling this?" And they all were with me, except one of my friends, who's a director, Adi Chopra, and the writer Atul Kulkarni, dug in their heels and said, "Look, this is a film which is an episodic film. It's, it's, it's nature is episodic, and no new actor should be cast in this role. It should be a star who can hold the film together." I think that made sense to me, and so finally we went with this. But what happened in the process was that the beard I had grown initially was about four to six months, and we had almost decided that Junaid is going to play the part, and I shaved. <laughs> and then after a couple of months, we decided, no, uh, I'm going to play the part. <laughs> so then I started growing the beard again, yeah. and then I got a good six to seven or maybe eight months to to grow it. But beards take a time to grow, and I, if I had yeah. not shaved it in the middle, I would have had an even longer. Uh, a beard but we did use uh, you know uh, extensions to try and uh, you know lengthen it and yeah. make it a little yeah. fuller yeah 
But that, that's the thing, real life. You got to grow the beard. But, you can't but, fake it. Yeah, so it, it's so strange. The one thing I was struggling with the most, Adnan, was in, in, I'm in my 50s. How do I play an 18-year-old? Mm. How do I bring the innocence? The purity of that age is so intangible. And I got it in the strangest way, quite by accident, because I saw Janet do it. And, and that's the where I got the cue from. Yeah, That's where I got the cue from. It's you amazing. know, the way he reacted to the way he... Uh, you know, the way he reacted and, you know, you've seen the film. So when I show you the test, you'll understand what I'm saying. And and I was helped by someone who's never acted before, actually, ironically. So it was, you know, it was like a miracle. Yeah. And that's the key is that purity of the character, right? That innocence, that uh, naive ite. And sometimes you're right. You saw that from your son, Janelle. He was able to give that to you. That was the spark. Yeah. And, and by the way, a cameo from Shah Rukh Khan, which I thought was fantastic early in the movie as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, we needed an we needed an in, Indian version of Elvis. Uh, the original had Elvis, so we needed an Indian Elvis, and no one better than Shahrukh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Uh, again, the movie is terrific. I encourage everyone to go check it out. I also thought it was smart. Listen, you guys know for as I would know for Indian audiences, there's certain things you can't show. So there's some adult scenes you had to omit from the yes. original Forrest Gump, which I yes. think is important to do, right? Yes. Well, the reason I did that uh, is that if if we had kept those scenes, then it would be a film only for adults. Mm. And I I really wanted that, I wanted children to watch this film. I wanted children to have the opportunity to see the strength of innocence. You know, this man doesn't beat up people. He doesn't fight for people. He, he it just is. And his purity and innocence is, that's his strength. And, and, and it's so, it's actually so strong that it, it's almost as if the universe conspires to make things happen for him because he's so pure and so innocent. Yeah. I, I encourage everyone to go check it out. La Sinchada. I want to ask about a few other films as well. Lagan, I mean, it's such a classic movie. I mean, the fact that that actually got recognition here in America, the fact yeah. it was nominated for an Academy Award, I, I can't imagine. Take me through, what was that moment like? The fact that Lagan <laughs> was recognized by the Oscars. First Indian film, by the way, ever nominated for Best Foreign Film Oscar. Well, well actually, second one, because the oh, first one, one was, was, was Mother India. Uh, that's right, that's right. Like decades ago was Mother India. And so this is the second one that got nominated, the Indian, second Indian film. It was, a, we were thrilled. We were absolutely thrilled uh, to, to learn that, uh, you know, uh, Academy members, American Academy members had liked our film so much. And uh, we were thrilled. He was really thrilled. Uh, it gave... Uh, the film, you know, a window of opportunity for more people to experience it. And that, and we were happy about that. I also yeah. want to ask you about Dungal. I mean, you talk about, when you think of American films, like independent films, gritty and raw, like Dungal is to me, I mean, that's, that is really the best of what Bollywood can do. People think of Bollywood, as you know, Amr, they think of the song and the dance and all the rest of it, which is uh, great. But, uh, but like yeah. Dungal is like a hard hitting, intense film. I thought it was great. I thought you were terrific in that movie. Well, I'm so glad you like that one. Yeah, that's another special one. And I think that that turned out really well. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to have all these wonderful scripts come to me. And 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 I'm I'm so glad I could be a part of these films. And, and actually, you're right. Not every, in fact, most of my f films in the last, I'd say, five or six years, they do have songs, but but we don't, they, they kind of come in the background. They're not lip sync like they usually are in, in, in Bollywood films. Mm -hmm. So, so I think Dangal had that quality. So there were songs, but they were all in the background. So Lal Singh has songs, but they're all in the background. Uh, so, you know, so I think that is kind of easier for an American audience to also relate to. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Last one for you. you mentioned Shah Rukh Khan is like the Indian Elvis. Give me a story about Amitabh Bachchan. As a kid growing up, my mom, my oh, dad, man. the reverse. So I, I'm sure you must have a great story for me about oh, the Amitabh. Man. 
I have so many stories about Mr. Bachchan. I've I've been such a huge fan of his. But you know, my f- most favorite story is the one that in which I come out in very bad light. But I have to say it. So, <laughs> so we were kids. My father is a film producer, and and we used to get these film magazines in our house. And me and my siblings, we were I don't know maybe ten or thereabout. And we four of us, and then the maids at home, and we were all looking at this film magazine. And there was this article about. newcomers coming into the film industry and their passport size photographs were kind of printed on it and there were about a good 50 60 photographs and we were looking at all the photographs and and we were kind of making fun of them it was a bit heartless when i look back at it now as an actor it's a bit heartless but that's what we did we were laughing and say oh look at this one he wants to be an actor look at her she wants to be an actor and one of the persons we really laughed a lot was this photograph of a gentleman who was amitabh bachchan and he laughed a lot and said oh look at this guy he wants to be an actor and then of course the rest is history he went on to become one of the biggest stars that india has ever seen and and when i saw him act i was like hmm <laughs> i was laughing at him one day and of course i i told him the story and he of course had a great laugh when he heard this uh, he he's a great guy and i'm a, i'm a huge fan of this i'm a huge fan of this Oh, that's amazing. We're a huge fan of yours. Amar Khan, uh, fantastic stories about your entire career. Again, if you're a fan of Bollywood, you got to see Lagan and Three Idiots and Dungal and especially his new film Lal Sangjada as he said available August 11th. This was a real thrill, Amar. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, man. Lovely talking to you. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the north. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com/live.